encourage you just quietly in your own heart. Just tell the Lord how much you love him. How thankful you are for the cross. And just picture presenting your heart to him. And say to him, Lord, shape it and mold it however you want. God, now we love you and thank you for the privilege to be your people. To be molded and shaped into the image of Jesus. God, as we behold your glory today, we invite you to transform us from another degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, blow and blow our way, Lord. Lord, our hearts are open and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we have to give an account. And we say, God, thank you that if those who have received Jesus, they've received a new heart. May today those who have not done that receive a new heart. Those who have, may that heart be molded and shaped and, and just more conformed to your image. We love you. We praise you. And we bring this offering before you now, Lord, as an act of worship. We return back to you, Lord, because it's all yours. In Jesus' name. All right, don't be seated. As the offering's passed, hope this doesn't mess up the offering, I want you to just take a moment and greet someone next to you. So as you're passing the baskets, greet those around you, say hello, learn somebody's name maybe that you don't already know. Now stay standing, turn in your Bibles to Jude, verse 22, and then we'll dismiss our children. Jude, verse 22 and 23, is where we're going to be today. Jude 22 and 23, the book right next to Revelation. Have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Father, anoint your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. And children that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed out that exit. Well, as you can tell in this passage, we have an interesting little journey today. So buckle your seatbelt, because one of the most asked questions by unbelievers, skeptics, and even believers, for that matter, is how can a loving God send someone to hell? There's a book entitled Skeletons in God's Closet. (laughs) How do you like that title? Skeletons in God's Closet, which is about judgment and eternal condemnation. And our passage today does address that. But before we get there, let me just give you a preview. There's three questions that we're going to answer today uh, in this flow of 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 the passage. How do we minister to doubters? How do we minister to the lost? And how do we now live, as Francis Schaeffer once said. How shall we now live? 
So let's begin with how do we minister to doubters. If you're new to Living Hope, on the back of your little announcement flyer are the sermon notes, and we will have Q&A today, so you might put some questions in the margin, because um, I'm sure there's going to be some. So how do we minister to doubters? Well, we're told in this passage to show mercy. Have mercy on those who doubt. Uh, this past Monday was my birthday. I turned 62 years of age, and I asked my five-year-old grandson, oh, thank you. I asked my five-year-old grandson, how old do you think Granddaddy David is? He said, 84. <laughs> no mercy. No mercy. Uh, but God shows mercy, and we're to show mercy. Hallelujah. The context here is, per, is believers who were probably being a little shaken in their faith because of these false teachers. Remember, we've been learning in the book of Jude is about these false teachers who have come into the camp, created havoc, created doubt and, and, and presenting doctrine that wasn't consistent with God's word. They were deviating from the true gospel. They were using the grace of God as license for sexual immorality and on and on and on. And so Jude is bringing this book, bringing truth to bring correction uh, to the believers and to keep people from drifting. And so you can imagine in that context that there would be some who would begin to doubt. Um, I remember when I was a, a, about a two-year follower of Jesus here at University of Georgia, and I ran into some people that were sharing with me doctrine that was just really close to the truth, but it was deviating a little bit. And I remember, and I'd been walking with God for two years, solid, time with God every day, in a discipleship group, in a great church preaching the Word. And man, they put me in such a tailspin. I remember one night, I was telling Ark about this recently, that... Um, I literally was afraid that I was going to die driving home that night back to my dorm room and that I would go to hell. They, their teaching just created such confusion in my mind. And, and uh, I'm not going to mention the, the group by name, but I understand how this can happen. And I think this is why he says, show mercy to those who doubt. Listen, doubting is normal. Questioning is part of the Christian journey. And so if, if you're doubting, if you're questioning, if you, this is why we do Q&A here. We want to have an atmosphere here where it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to wrestle with things. You don't have to be, you, we're not asking everybody to be yes people. Not at all. We grow as we wrestle. We grow as we doubt. We grow as we interact with others. And that's why I would say this, one thing I've learned is be honest about your doubt. Be honest about your struggles. Don't pretend. Don't come and put on this face like you've got it all together when you're struggling inside. But you need to go to the Word. Okay? This is the source of truth. This is where it, this is the answers. This is the final verdict. <laughs> and, and I didn't write this, and you didn't write this. And it's, it's okay to wrestle even with truth that's in God's Word because God is much bigger than us, and we're not going to fully get everything, and there's mysteries to, the, to, to following God, and I'm glad He's bigger than I am. I'm glad I don't have all the answers. If you and I had all the answers, we'd be God. That's not a good equation. So it's okay to doubt. It's okay to question, but be honest about it. Go to people that you trust. Go to people who, who love the Lord and know the Word, and go back to the Word for the answers. And I think here he's saying to the solid believers, have mercy on those who doubt. Be patient. Aren't you glad God was patient with us? <laughs> Come on. We're to be like God. He's a patient God. We're to be patient with those who doubt. And it's interesting because the Greek word here is, is doubting. They are currently doubting. It's the present participle. Actually, it's the same Greek word used in Jude 9, which talks about Michael disputing. There's the word. With the devil about the body of Moses. 
So Michael and the devil are disputing about the body of Moses. They're going back and forth, kind of like a tug-of-war. And so doubting is described in that way that your mind is going through this mental, emotional, spiritual tug-of-war. Like, man, they're saying this, but I've been taught this, and I feel this, but I see this in the Word. And so you're in that kind of wrestling match. And we are to be merciful to those, patient. Jesus was patient with his 12. You see him working with them and and being patient with them. Sanctification is a slow process. And uh, part of that process is this doubting and struggling. And one more thing I would say about when you go through periods of doubting is not only be honest about it, not only go to people you trust, not only go back to the Word, but, but try to kind of separate, again, the non-essentials from the essentials. We've talked about this before, that closed-handed issues, open-handed issues. Um, uh, those that are in the room that are on staff, uh, we've had some interesting discussions right back here in the last two weeks, right, as we've gone through Bible doctrine. We're on the end times, <laughs> the last days, tribulation, millennium. How many know that Christians don't all agree on the end times? <laughs> How it's going to all happen, and the timing, and the tribulation, and are we going to go through it or not, and the rapture, and all that. So we've had some interesting discussions in our, in our room back here, because we're going through Bible doctrine by Grudem, and, 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 and we've reminded ourselves, hey guys, this, we can differ on this and, and still have unity in Christ. Uh, and so even as you're doubting, even as you're questioning, always separate what are essentials. Those are things directly related to salvation. You better be rock solid on those. And that, that's where you put most of your emphasis. The other areas that are non-essentials, our view of communion, our view of the last days, our view of even spiritual gifts, important. But they're not essential for your salvation. And so that's why one of our themes here is we want to be united in the essentials, allow diversity in the non-essentials, and be loving in all things. All right, let's get to the topic at hand, the more heavy issue. Um, how do we minister to the lost, people who are unsaved? We minister with truth and grace. This is so important. Uh, and we'll get to this phrase, but uh, it, let's just say right off the bat, the truth about the reality of eternal judgment, you cannot avoid that but also with grace and love and compassion for those that are outside of salvation in Jesus. And so here we come to this phrase that is very interesting, save others by snatching them out of the fire, and then to others show mercy with fear. Now some say that second to others is a different group of people, but I'm going to bring them together. I may not be interpreting that correctly, but I'm going to bring all this together under the heading of ministering to people who don't know Jesus. So first of all, this little phrase, save others. Obviously, we don't save anybody. God does. Only God saves. But we do have a part in the process. We are His hands and feet, 2 Corinthians 5, as though God were making His appeal through us. So we are to go and help rescue others out of the kingdom of darkness. And this word, snatching, snatching them out of the fire. The word snatch in the Greek means to pluck, pull away, it even can be used take by force. I picture a child about to run in the street and get hit by a car. You go and you snatch them. You grab them. You keep them from that terrible thing that could happen to them. Um, this is serious stuff, okay? This is not easy to preach, okay? Again, this is why going through books of the Bible are so good because I, you can't just skip over this. 
What does it mean to snatch them out of the fire? Even the atheist Penn Gillette once said that if you really believe in heaven and hell and you don't uh, proclaim it to people who are outside of the kingdom of God, then you would hate them by not, if you didn't tell them. Gene Paulette, the atheist, you can find the video, where he says, if you really believe this, then it would be hatred of the worst kind to not tell somebody who is headed for eternal destiny without Christ in a place called hell. So what does this mean? Snatch them from the fire. Well, as we've always learned, that the best way to interpret a passage is the context especially if it's used in the immediate context, meaning the same book. So turn to Jude 7. Jude verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Same word. Same word, fire. So there's no question that he's saying you are snatching people from the fire of judgment, hell, eternal separation from God. Hell is real. I know this is not popular, and I know that progressive Christianity is trying to remove such things from Christianity, but you cannot remove what the Bible clearly teaches, beloved. And what Jesus even himself talked about a lot. The word is the word, and the truth is the truth even if it may be hard for our human minds and emotions to grasp. God is God, and God is holy, and sin is rebellion. The Bible has a lot to say, and Jesus had a lot to say about judgment and hell because he loves us. So look at the verses on the screen. Very famous verse, but let's keep reading. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. This is the part we often leave out. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. There's the offer made. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Jesus said in Matthew 13, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Revelation 20, it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In Romans chapter 5, again, a passage that we only usually read one of the verses, but we'll keep going. God shows His love, and I love this one because you're going to see His love and His holiness in one section. 
He shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? So you see love and wrath in one section. God is love as we have seen over the last two weeks. We've spent two weeks. Keep yourselves in the love of God. He, because of that, he provided an eternal remedy for the eternal problem called sin. But for those who refuse the remedy, the consequences and judgment for sin cannot be removed. If God removed it without their consent, then he would violate their free will. So in his holiness, he must judge sin or he would cease to be just. And in his love, he provides a solution for our sin. If we repent of our sin, put our trust in Christ, follow Jesus, we're forgiven, reconciled, and have an eternal relationship with our Creator. But if we refuse the remedy, if we love our sin, listen to this, if we love our sin so much that we don't want to follow Jesus, then we will be eternally separated from God. Sometimes I want to say to unbelievers and critics of Christianity and hell, I want to say, so let me get this straight. You love your sin and you dislike God so much that you don't want Him to be part of your life. But when you die, you want to go to heaven, which is a place that is full of God and His glory? Help me understand that. If God were to force heaven for those who hate Him, wouldn't that be a type of hell for them? He cannot compromise His justice and judgment without violating His nature. He cannot compromise His holiness to accommodate our sin. He's obligated by his nature to punish sin. Either he pays it or we pay it. And the good news is he has paid it if we'll accept that. And so we come back to this diagram of God's nature. I encourage you to take a picture of this if you haven't already when I've used it before. Because I believe this is a great diagram to study. Home groups could discuss this. Iron Man groups could discuss this. You could spend hours dissecting and meditating on this diagram. And the thing I want you to see here is, is how his holiness and his love, under his holiness would be his judgment, his wrath, would be the issue that we're talking about today. Under his love would be his mercy and his grace. Where do those most perfectly come together and meet at the glorious gospel and cross of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. Because there he expresses his love he pays for our sin and expresses his wrath, but he does so on his own son so that if we receive that, we don't face that. That's called the good news, beloved. And so again, we see this phrase, show mercy with fear. So for those who are outside of salvation in Jesus, he calls us to be merciful, to be loving, to be compassionate, to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4, 17. We don't come on so strong that we bruise the fruit, but rather we are patient, we love them, we pray for them, we cry out to God for their souls, and we do everything in our means and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to lead them to Christ, but we cannot save them ourselves. It's a work of God, but we ask for God's compassion Jesus felt compassion for people, therefore he spoke the truth and healed the sick. 
and we trust God to bring them to salvation. So I want to review our bridge diagram because this shows how we can avoid God's judgment, how we can avoid hell. And also, uh, it's in our year of the harvest, it's important that we each know this diagram so well that you could draw it in your sleep, that you could draw it out anytime, anywhere. This is the way to help introduce people to Jesus. This is the way to help snatch them from the fire. And if you're listening here or online and you don't know Jesus, this is the good news. And it's, it's so clear. It's so simple. It's so profound. It's so glorious. And here it is. God is holy. We are sinful, separated to, from God due to our sin. And because of that, because God is holy, sin deserves judgment, his wrath, his punishment for our sin, the wrath of God. But the good news is that Jesus came and he died for sin, shed his blood as the eternal payment, and he bore and absorbed the judgment of God for you and me. And because of this, we can be reconciled, forgiven brought to God's side, accepted by God, loved by God, declared righteous by God, given a new nature from God. That is called salvation. That's the good news, beloved. And so as we share with people, as we reach out to people, as we know those who are outside of the kingdom of God, this is a simple, easy, biblical way to share how they can be saved and avoid the fire of judgment. All right, number three, how shall we now live in holiness? In holiness, and now we come to this little phrase, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is an amazing phrase. I love these little nuggets in God's Word. You just have to stop and you have to go, what is this talking about? First of all, hating, I thought we were only to be loving. How are, well, we're not to hate, are we? Well, we are to love the things God loves and we're to hate the things God hates. And God hates sin. He loves sinners, but he hates sin. Why does he hate sin? Because it gets in the way of our closeness with him that he desires. Any spouse of somebody that's committing adultery, they love, they still love their spouse, but they hate the adultery. They hate the sin that gets in the way of that marriage being what it's called to be. And so here we're told to hate something. What are we told to hate? We're told to hate even the garment stained by the flesh. What does that mean? Well, the NLT translates this, hate the sins that contaminate their lives. It's a call to holiness. Here's how. It's interesting. The Greek word garment here refers to the garment that is worn closest to the body because there was the inner garment and the outer garment. And the inner garment, that which was closest to the body, here's what I believe it's saying, that we are called to holiness not just in the outward acts that others see, but in the inward places of our heart. Woo! That'll preach. We're called to holiness. We're called to hate even the garment that is closest to our skin that might be stained by our flesh, that might be led astray, that might be inclined toward immorality. It's a call to holiness, beloved, inwardly and outwardly. It's holiness in our mind, holiness in our motives, holiness in our body, holiness in our actions, holiness in our money, holiness in our relationships, 
Holiness in our service unto God. Holiness in our use of time. Holiness in our hobbies. Holiness in what we look at. I'll set no vile thing before my eyes. Holiness in our families. Holiness in our use of social media. Holiness in our obedience to God. Holiness in our repentance when we sin. Because we will sin. And so part of holiness is repenting quickly. So that you might run right back into His grace. And you can only live holy in the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God He gives us His Holy Spirit to enable us to live holy. So His Holy Spirit empowers us. His love motivates us. His grace moves us. It's all about relationship. The Bible calls us to holiness repeatedly. 1 Peter 1 and 15, be holy for I am holy. Romans 12 says to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Matthew 5 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Romans 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Beloved, revival fires are blowing, and they are blowing that we be holy before him. That we be the Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, confess their sins, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. So we are called to holy living in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've answered three questions today. How shall we respond to the doubters with grace and mercy? How do we minister to lost people? We, become, we are deeply aware of eternal judgment, and because of that, we want to speak the truth with grace and love. We want to have compassion, but also are deeply aware of the eternal consequences for those who don't receive Christ. And how shall we live to be examples and to be in the flow of God's presence and power? That is holiness. Holiness from the right motive, not a legalistic holiness, not a holiness to gain God's love and favor, but a holiness that expresses love for God by wanting to live a pure life that I might know him deeply and not miss anything he would have for me. All right, let's take some questions. We've got plenty of time for questions today. You can text those in or you can raise your hand if our mic guys could get ready. All right. Um, hey, Pastor Dave. Uh, could you expound a little bit more on the portion where you were talking about heaven being a place of worship and not um, it being a sort of like hell or in itself or torture for unbelievers, like people who don't want to worship God in the first place, like if like they desire going to heaven, like in a way that would be kind of forcing themselves in their own sort of like torture well i think they they forget that heaven is full of the glory of god the the best thing about heaven is god is there in fullness in glory and in purity and if somebody says by their life on earth i don't want god in my life then then for them why would they want heaven and again i don't think people think like this because they're not thinking biblically and accurately but i think it's an angle that's worth taking that, that, that heaven is a place of God's glory and splendor and majesty and purity. And, and if you 
And so what I would do is I would use that to point them to back, back to why would you not want God as part of your life? Let's, let's, let's really investigate that. That could be the mercy part of the truth, you know? You don't, don't want to hammer them with truth so much that you don't move to let's examine maybe more why you don't want God in your life. And I think the, big, I think the biggest issue is a, a misunderstanding of his nature. If they really know how much he loves them, how he created them, how his will is good, acceptable, and perfect, Romans 12, how there's nothing better for you than, than experiencing your creator's perfect design for you. Who, who best knows how to, to run a car? The one who, who put it together and created it and, and designed it. They, and so in the same way, our creator knows best what is best for our lives. And, and so it, it's just pointing it back to that why do you not want God in your life? Um, and I think it's important to help people see that, that they're loving sin more than God. Um, and that if they, if they understand who he is, then, then you'll want to love him more than your sin. Uh, to that point, I think of the country song by Kenny Chesney, everybody wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to go right now. <laughs> he's, always, he's just talking in a song about like enjoying sin and life and, you know, not wanting God. So I just think it's a really good point that's infiltrated our culture. Um, uh, could you address annihilationism uh, since, yep. that, since that's a growing thing, even within evangelical Christianity, yep. for people who don't know what that is, can you cover that? Yeah, so annihilationism is the belief that a person that dies outside of Jesus will not have eternal conscious punishment but that they will, their soul or their spirit will just annihilate. It'll cease to exist. I don't find that biblically sound because of the verses that I read earlier. Um, it, especially the second, let's go back to 2 Thessalonians 1, Bobby, if we could. Uh, um, uh, away from the presence, uh, the, the, the punishment of eternal destruction. That, that, that they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Um, that, that doesn't sound like annihilationism to me. But there are some evangelical, even scholars, that do take that position, that their soul will eventually just kind of annihilate into a, to nothing. So they won't be conscious. There won't be eternal conscious punishment. Um, again, it's that, that, would be, that would be a non-essential as well. Um, so we can differ on that. We can have different views on that and still be in unity. Why is my phone not working? Sorry, guys. Trying to find if there's any... Wow, there's, my phone is blowing up. Mark, um, yeah. All right. But when I was younger, I traveled a lot. And, and even living here in Athens, I have some friends who are Thai Buddhists. And um, my brother and his wife are Buddhist. And uh, we know people who are Hindu. We know people who are Muslim. And they have God in their religion and in their lives. And some of them are very godly people, but they don't subscribe to Jesus. And they don't follow the Christian Bible, obviously. So what do you say to people like that? Because they don't, they don't not want God, and they don't consider themselves people that don't have a God-focused life. Mm -hmm. And they would want to be in heaven with God. But Jesus isn't, obviously, for them. Yep what Jesus is for a Christian Great question. Person. So that's where the bridge diagram, again, comes so important. Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said that. No one. So you come to God through Jesus because he's the only remedy for the sin problem. 
And if you dissect all other religions, it's a works approach to God. They may be good people. They may be very good on the outside, et cetera, et cetera, but that does not remove their sin. If that could remove their sin, then Jesus didn't need to die. Acts 4 and 12 says, There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. So he's the only way to God because he's the only remedy sufficient to remove the sin barrier. This is why Jesus said, Many will come unto me on that last day. Lord, did we not? And they list all their good deeds. And he said, I never knew you. And so I know this is hard to swallow. I know this is hard to accept, especially when we have relatives that are great people on the outside. But the only thing that can remove sin is the blood of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, nothing else. Um, I had a question about what you were talking about earlier when you were in college and some of the like false doctrine that you were hearing. And I was just wondering if you remembered any some like some of the stuff specifically that like shook you up so much yeah. that like didn't settle well. So I'll, since you're asking, I'll, I won't mention the group by name, but I'll mention the doctrine. It was baptismal regeneration. They they say you have to be baptized to be saved, and it's a teaching that um, if you really dissect it, it's it's baptism in their church. I think it's very cultish actually because they told me Billy Billy Graham was still alive at the time. They said Billy Graham's not saved. I said what? I said, he's believed and he's been baptized. Yeah, but he wasn't baptized for the remission of sins. He wasn't baptized for the right reason, so it didn't take. And it really boils down to baptism in their church, their way. And so even though I had believed and received Christ, seen changes in my life, and I had been baptized, uh, according to them, I wasn't baptized for the right reason, as a means to salvation. So it's called baptismal regeneration, and they use Acts 2.38. And in my new book, I address, the, I believe, a different interpretation of Acts 2.38, where the word for can be translated because... So believe and be baptized because of the remission of sins, and you shall be saved. And so it's not baptism to get you saved. It's baptism following immediately your conversion to Christ. So you're forgiven by your repentance of your sin, your belief in Christ. And there's a bunch of other verses that show salvation or baptism coming after salvation. Acts 10 says... uh, they, they, had, they had been saved. They had even spoken in tongues, giving evidence of their salvation. Not that that's evidence of salvation, but in that case, that sh- clearly showed that the Holy Spirit had come in them. And then it says, what shall prevent us from being baptized who have, past tense, received the Holy Spirit? So that's a great verse that those people can't usually give a good answer to. So they have one verse that they kind of camp on, and they make their whole doctrine and their whole, basically, theology on that one. And they would say, most of you in this room are not saved because you haven't been baptized for the remission of sins. And I, just, I was just too young in my faith to kind of have answers to that. And, and I'm looking at Acts 2.38, and I'm going, yeah, it does seem to say what they say it says. I don't believe it does. And I didn't have enough other verses to counter it. And this is why we need to be solid in our theology, not just taking one verse and building a whole theology around it, but we need to have all the other verses about that topic which is why being in a community of believers is so important because we're all going to be at different levels in our biblical understanding. And this is why going to others to, hey, help me here. I'm confused. They're saying this, but I've never heard that before. And man, that's when you really get sharpened. So it sharpened me. It was a, it was a wonderfully painful experience. <laughs> I'll go ahead. So for those of you texting questions, I'm probably not going to get to them until this afternoon, but I will because there's so many in the room, which is good, and I want to really give preference here. 
I, I wasn't actually going to ask a question, but I was going to make a comment if that's allowed based on the previous question and just tie, connect two dots. I don't know if that's okay, so I don't want to. If it's brief, sure. Yeah, um, and it is just the, the notion of other faiths in God, but we must remember tied to the statement of um, heaven is a place where God is. Well, who is God? It's a Trinitarian question. Jesus is God. And so to be with Jesus in heaven is so ultimately to say you want to be with God, but who is God? Mm, that's good. So make them define. In other words, if we're talking about their God. Right, and wanting to be in heaven with him, well, who is he? That's good. Yeah. No, that's really good. I like that. I want to add to the comment here on the Buddha thing. Are those gods the same God? Our God, Buddhist God, are those gods the same God? And if they're not the same no. God, how no. do we know that we have the right God? Well, we know it's not the same God, and we know we have the right God because of the truth of the Word. And the truth of the Word is consistent all throughout. Jesus, the Trinity, is from Genesis to Revelation. That's, that, 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 man, this is what I love studying the Old Testament in light of the New is let us make man in our image. Right there you have the Trinity. Don't they have some word? Don't they have their own Bible, if you will? Um, some do, yeah. But I don't believe, I believe those are false documents. I believe Joseph Smith is a false prophet. Um, I believe the book of Quran is not of the Lord. And so I know that that's offensive to some today because we have to be so inclusive. But truth, listen, truth by its very definition is exclusive. What color is that shirt you're wearing, Mark? It's blue. Blue. Azul. I'm sorry? Azul. Okay, azul. In From here it looks green, whatever. <laughs> it's not red, right? No. It's not red. You know, poor red. Sorry if we offended red today, but the truth is that shirt is not red. And so truth by its very definition excludes things that are not true. And Jesus didn't apologize for who he was, what he was going to do, and what he did do. And, and so this is why speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4, 17. So important that we be people of truth and people of love. Truth without love is abrasive, beats people over the head, probably bruises the fruit. But love without truth is not real love. Because if you truly love someone, you will speak the truth to them. And so truth includes love, and love includes truth. And we need to be people of both truth and love. Hello. Okay. I'll be quick and brief. So I have just two days ago, Jehovah's Witness lady called us, and we had a, a conversation about is Jesus God. So that, you know, this is all according everything any question that I may have had or whatever, God always answers it. But we also, yesterday, were um, looking up theoretical studies about revelations and all that. And you were talking about the essential versus non-essential. So again, answering questions. But I believe I had spread the truth to this Jehovah Witness lady, but I did not do it in a loving manner because I was very, as you call it, abrasive and direct. And I'm just admitting that. That's all I got. <laughs> Good confession, brother. But you know what, Art? You're going to be better because of that. And so we don't always hit home runs. But praise God when we strike out or when we, you know, out on a foul ball, we're going to grow from that. You're going to be better in the future. So 
Don't let the enemy beat you up for that. Um, you're honest about it. You're going to grow. You're going to do better next time. And that's awesome. And I think the Lord is proud when you stand up for the truth. Um, Mark. Oh. Hey, so um, I have a question. How do you love somebody in truth when their truth isn't, you know, it's obviously not right? And when you're close to them and it's a transgender, how do you do life with them without, you know, damaging that relationship, but you're also, you, you don't want that? Yeah. You know, it's, we're not accepting it. So how and, to, yeah. so as somebody you're close to, you want to speak the truth in love. How do you do that when, when their lifestyle, for example, is that part of it? Their lifestyle is, or yeah, they're not so, agreeing to the truth. Yeah, we don't agree to that. And it is something that, um, it's could possibly damage that relationship. Yeah. And it's important to certain people in our family that we include them, but how do you include them without accepting like letting them know it's accepted because yeah. we obviously don't. So first of all, great question. I know it's applicable. I, I read one of the texts that had come in and it was very similar. Uh, Can I'm sorry? I be a little bit more? Oh, it was you. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> Didn't Pastor, come out of it. So, um, Pastor that, David, can I be more specific? She's talking about my granddaughter that will not come visit us because we refuse to call her a he. Refuse to call her? A he. Okay. Um, so I, one thing J Jesus said to the disciples I have many more things to say to you but you're not ready yet and there's a principle there of giving truth as it, to the degree that it's received um, and so the whole gender thing is very complicated um, if, boy I'm going to open a can of worms uh, if a person and, and it's okay if you don't agree with me on this. If a person has, and I don't know the specifics of that, but if a person has already transitioned, then I think they haven't. Okay, they just... Let me, let, me, let me say this first. If a person has already transitioned, then I think you, you call them what they are wanting to be called because they've already transitioned. But they know in your heart, and I think you can make it clear if you know them, that you, you don't accept this, but you want to support them where they are. You want to meet them where they are. Because you don't want the whole gender thing to be the issue. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we all have sin. We all have areas that we stray and sin. And we can't expect a person who's not following Christ to behave like a person who does. And so what they need is a heart change. And I think it's important that we focus on the heart that we, we make that the focus because if we overly focus on the external stuff, whether it's gender, whether it's homosexuality, or whether it's lying, stealing, cheating, or the guy that's addicted to porn, or the woman that's addicted to porn, those are all tip of the iceberg issues. The below the iceberg is the heart. The reason they're behaving that way is because their heart is not right with Jesus. And so as much as we can do to put the focus on the heart, and help them see the love and the mercy and the truth of God and how he invites us into relationship because it's only when they enter into that relationship through Jesus and get their heart changed is the other stuff going to change. So I don't know if that helps, but I just those are some principles without the specific situation or any more information. One question. Hey, Pastor Dave. Um, 
number two, question number two, we keep bringing up the essentials and they are pertaining to salvation, but what exactly are the essentials? Like, like for example, yep. is the Trinity doctrine an essential? Yes. Is baptism an essential? Like, what are the essentials? Okay, good. And we, we could do a whole message on this. Um, might, might should sometime. But the, anything that has a direct relevance on your salvation, Trinity, deity of Christ, blood atonement, um, salvation by grace through faith, not of works. Okay, so I always say, what is it that is necessary for you to be born again? I need to talk to you. Uh, those are the essentials. Now, I put baptism as the closest to an essential that's a non-essential. So if I were drawing a circle, baptism would be the first one outside that essential circle. I don't, it's not an essential because you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but it is the first act of obedience. It should be the next thing you do when you get born again. It's not an option. It's not something you do four years after you get saved because you've been through a thousand instructional classes and been to Bible college. It was immediately after salvation. Um, and so if you've not been baptized, um, you need to get baptized since, since you've been saved. Okay? Not infant baptism. That doesn't count. That's, that, you got wet when you were a baby. Baptism is when you are immersed in water if you're physically able, but you are baptized, and we're going to have one in second service, and it's going to be awesome today. Um, so, uh, but the, are we going to be raptured before, during, or after the tribulation? We can differ. That's not essential for salvation. You see what I mean? Um, view of the Lord's Supper, consubstantiation, transubstantiation, memorialistic. Taking communion is really important. I wouldn't make it an essential. It doesn't save you, but so I'd probably put Lord's Supper right after baptism is the closest to the non it's the closest non-essential to an essential because those are the two sacraments or ordinances that we're to observe as believers. Um, view of spiritual gifts. You know, I'm passionate about the spiritual gifts. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He heals, he delivers, tongues, prophecy, healing, all that's still for today. But I have some great friends who don't believe those are still for today. They believe they cease. That's called cessationism. Um, that's non-essential. And so if we, get, if we really, you know, our passion for those areas could cause us to just, man, we're arguing and, and we don't have fellowship anymore. And I start judging them and they start judging me. They say, well, man, you're just a weird charismatic. And, and, and I say, well, you're, you're quenching the Holy Spirit because you don't believe in the gifts. You see how easy that can get divisive? I know none of you have ever seen that happen if you've been a believer very long. <laughs> it happens all the time. And so, again, that's why this is so important because it, I, I get with that brother and I go, man, let's hash it out. Let's go at it theologically. But at the end of the day, we're both, we both love Jesus. We're both saved by the blood of Jesus. That doesn't save us, and so we can have unity there and then love in all things. So, it's essentials or anything that has a direct relevance on your salvation. Yeah. I can, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Okay, so it's kind of a two-part question. So the part uh, number two where it says, how do we minister to the lost with truth and grace? Um, one, are we speaking to believers who have lost their way? And then two, um, everyone's brought up really good points today. But I'd like to address like mental health issues. So people mm. who have lost their way in regards to whatever trauma, PTSD, uh, depression, bipolar, like how do you help them? So your first question, truth and grace absolutely applies to believers and unbelievers. But this passage is not about believers who lost their salvation. 
Because I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I believe if you're truly saved, you're sealed until the day of redemption. So I believe this is referring to people who are not saved. Some believe this passage that snatched people from the fire is actually the false teachers themselves. Um, but in any case, we know judgment comes upon all who are not in Christ. So I think that's why I, I believe it can be taken much more broadly. Regarding mental health issues, it is very complex. And so I get asked all the time, can a believer commit suicide and still go to heaven? Yeah. Because I think people that are true believers, unfortunately, mental health is so complex and can be so deep at times that they just get so in a cloud that they lose all perspective. And, and so you go to heaven based on whether you have Jesus in your life, not how you die. Um, that's not giving anybody permission to commit suicide. Of course not. And that grieves God. But I don't believe, as the Catholics do, that if you commit suicide, that, that, destined, it, that, that's, that way of dying in and of itself sends you to hell. Um, and, and I think with mental health issues, it, it's just so complex. That's why we need a multifaceted approach to healing. We need to, to consider deliverance. We need to consider that there could be demonic presence and spirits there. And I've seen people delivered of spirits that healed them from those issues. But that's, again, that's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not always all demonic. Um, there can be PTSD. There can be trauma from the past. That's why I do recommend the seven steps to freedom, the restoring the foundations, doing things like CR here with the step studies, because that helps to get back into the root issues that may have caused the problem. Because we always want to be willing to go to the root cause and not just deal with things at a surface level. Um, but obviously, the renewing of the mind. Um, we're going to offer a Wednesday night class starting March 22nd. It's going to deal with the whole issue of brain chemistry and how renewing your mind can literally alter your brain chemistry. They've proven this. It's amazing. And how fear and negative thoughts create these thorns in your brain that are toxic. And uh, over about a month period, by putting the Word of God into practice, it literally destroys those thorns in, that are literally documented in one's mind. And so I'm telling you, man, this stuff works. God's word works. God's truth works. And he says the truth will set you free. Hope that addressed it. Okay. All right. Well, this is good. We've got um, extra time for some response because um, I have several things I want to do in this response time. So let's close the questions. If the worship team would come back up. Um, Good interaction today, guys. Thank you for this, and keep it coming. Um, so I asked you last week, or through our text, or our little app, the push-out things we send on the um, app on your phone, to study Zechariah 3. I'm so intrigued by Zechariah 3 that I think I'm going to do a whole message on it after we finish Jude. So, but do be studying Zechariah chapter 3 and the book of Jude. Read Jude and read Zechariah 3. And see how many things you can find in Zechariah 3 that are in Jude. It's fascinating. Um, so I think I'm going to do a whole message on that. All right, so here's what I want to do. If we can bring up the three questions again, please, Bobby. Here's what we've learned today. That we are to minister to doubters by showing mercy. We're to minister to the lost people with truth and grace. And God calls us to holiness. I want you to meditate on that just for a minute.
And I want you to quietly stand in a prayerful attitude. And I'd like our, like our prayer team to go ahead and take your place. You cannot give a message like this without an opportunity to receive Christ. If you're here today and you have any doubt about your spiritual soul being saved through the blood of Jesus and you want to receive Christ today, you want to be born again, you want to know that your eternal destiny is not headed for the fire. I call you right now to come up to the front and kneel at these steps. And somebody from our prayer team is going to meet you up here and pray with you. So if you need to receive Christ today, I want to invite you right now to come and kneel at the front. Lord, we pray now that you would grant faith and repentance to anybody who doesn't have the assurance of their salvation. You're watching online. You text me, and I will call you today, and we will pray together if you need to be born again, forgiven, and saved. The blood of Jesus awaits all sin you've committed. It's a bucket of grace and mercy awaiting to be poured over every sin you have ever committed. That's how good it is. That's how good it is. It is plentiful. You have not committed any sin bigger than what Jesus did at the cross. Come now if you need to be saved, if you want to receive Christ in your life. Perhaps you're here and there's sin in your life. There's some areas of your life that you know are grievous to the Lord. If Jesus were to return today, there's some areas that you know he would be displeased with. And you need prayer for that. You want to repent of that. I encourage you to come forward or to grab a friend maybe that you know in the room that you would be, feel comfortable praying with. Get that taken care of. Get that taken care of. This, this wind of revival that's blowing is a wind of repentance, confession, and cleansing. And God calls us in our very passage today to holiness. So if there's something you need to just get right with God about, you either come to the front, kneel, and somebody will meet you here, or you, come, or you pray with somebody perhaps that is the, that's in the room or sitting next to you, standing next to you that, that you need to pray with and I'll give you a moment for that.
many of us know people that are not saved and we need to pray for them. And so perhaps you want to go over to the wall of compassion, write their names on that wall and cry out to God for them. Or you want to come to the front here and pray for them. Or you want to huddle up with somebody you know, but also want this time to be a time in which we are praying and interceding and crying out to God to snatch them from the fire. Prayer is powerful. Prayer can have powerful effects on those who are lost. That God would open their eyes. That he would lift the veil. That the enemy would be bound. And so let's go into a time also of just prayer for people we know who are not saved.